As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. My nails are painted. I've been big into painting my nails recently. Oh. I like, I, I remember I used to get acrylics, not a ton. Those are like when they put longer nails on your nails. Um, but then it made everything so difficult, especially like as a contacts wearer for many, many years. Obviously now I don't wear contacts because I got LASIK. Um, but that was always more difficult. And just everything is more difficult. And also I feel like- guitar. Guitar, little, yeah, I, I could Playing never, guitar with nails was always a pain for you? Oh, you just can't. You can't with acrylics. It, like, does not work. <laughs> but um, also, like, germ-wise, like, I feel like it's so much easier for germs and, like, grody stuff to get caught underneath. And, like, I'm, I'm a big, I don't love germs person. Um, and so I, I kind of stopped getting acrylics. And every now and then I will. But, yeah, I recently just started painting my nails fun colors. And I have really short nails. And they're, like, always chipped. But you know what? It's it's kind of fun, and I feel cutesy and girly, and, and I like feeling that. <laughs> you look cutesy. Maggie's wearing overalls today with a little uh, fluffy shirt underneath it, and yeah. you look you look really refreshed and happy. Thanks. You feel I feel that way. Makeup. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more so the makeup. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I am excited to start this podcast. Oh, me too. So let's just get it going. Roll the intro music, please. Mags and Dads, wholesome chaos. Mags and Dads, wholesome chaos. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mags and Dads Wholesome Chaos. It is Mags and Dad today, as mom is in Austin at the Austin Film Festival. Really super excited for her. She's got one of her films, uh, which is being screened and is up for awards. And so she's meeting people, seeing old friends and networking for some really exciting upcoming projects. So she she's there with Rachel's mom, right? Yes. She's That's there so with so funny. <laughs> well, actually, Rachel's mom, Renee, was going to go. But she, I don't think she ended up going because now she's in L.A. She's networking, but she's working on some oh, yeah, poten she is potential big deals. She, yeah, she's yeah. working on some stuff for um, projects that might include mom. It's like yeah, too early to talk about any of that, but but some really so exciting fun. things. Yeah, yeah. But basically, things. my childhood best friend, not even childhood, like middle school through high school through college, well, I guess I, we didn't really go close together. One of my really, really good friends. Um, our moms are now friends and like work together. And it's so funny. And like, 
it's kind of a little too late. Like it would have been great if they were besties while we like were in high school together. That would have been cool. But better late than never. I'm glad that they're getting along and are friends now and like go get food together and go see shows together. I always say like I and think make movies together. Like and it's make like movies very together. they're creatively connected and Renee's such a big fan of mom's writing and her work and so she's greasing the wheels for some uh, big things to come. So that's that's exciting. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, before we get too far into the podcast, just wanted to make a quick announcement here that this episode is going to be uh, the last for a little bit because we are just going to take a bit of a pause again with the podcast because of Shay's film writing opportunities. She's got some scripts to crank out. My speaking schedule, my book launch, Maggie's projects. Uh, Eddie's got some some changes in the works and opportunities. It's kind of like in our lives right now, this perfect storm of of activity and busyness in a good way and some exciting opportunities. And it's just like, we need to create a little space to make sure we do those things really, really well. Um, and I didn't want to shortchange the podcast and do that poorly. And so we kind of had a family meeting and decided, you know what, we're just going to take a pause here and uh, we'll still t- stay connected to the community through the Wholesome Chaos web- website. So you can ask questions there and please subscribe and stay subscribed. Um, that way you'll, you'll know when we re- resume again. Um, and in the meantime, we will be answering a lot of your questions, kind of cleaning out all of that on this podcast right here. But um, anyway, before we get into the questions, Mags, what's been going on with you? I'm good. I'm I'm kicking. I'm I'm working. I'm very sore. I um I spent four and a half hours on a jet ski the other day, which what was a lot of hours to be on a jet ski. And my first time on a jet ski, actually, I had never jet skied before, but it was so fun. There was such a learning curve with it. Um, but yeah, four and a half hours is a really long time to be on a jet ski. Were you in a lake or were you in the ocean? Where, ocean. Where were you? Deep in the wow. Pacific Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so big waves. That's pretty intense. Big waves. I saw dolphins. I saw sea lions. I saw birds. I. It was crazy. That's incredible. It goes to show like how much of the ocean we just like don't even know. And oh my gosh, the way the dolphins would like mess with you and like hang out with you and like try and show off for you was crazy really so you're like jet skiing with dolphins like right next to you yeah and jenna and i we rode together for a good bit of it and that was fun because we we kept saying we almost rode separate and we were like we'd get so lonely like we couldn't really if you're on separate jet skis (laughs) you can't really talk and so we were able to like talk and and have commentary about what was going on and laugh. We laughed so, so much just because of everything that was happening. And you'd just like hit a wave that you weren't expecting and your whole body just like jolts. Um, <laughs> but you just have to keep <laughs> hanging on because you got like three hours more to go. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember my first time on a jet ski, the learning curve that you're describing, maybe you had a similar experience to me. It's like, it's so much power that you get in just the push of your thumb and it throws you. And it, in the beginning, I felt like, oh my gosh, how stable is this going to be? And am I going to be, uh, you know, in danger of like tipping it over? And then you realize these are like pretty stable things, and you know how to you learn how to lean into the turns. And I got pretty excited about it after a while. Like I could take some pretty good speed. Were you like similar experience in your learning curve? Um. Yes and no. It, it was like. The tricky thing was, depending on which jet ski you were on, dictated how fast it went. 
And so the one Jenna and I were originally on would go like 70 miles an hour. Like we were going so, so fast sometimes. And so it was harder to not fully, um, you know, it's just kind of your, my hand would like cramp up and like floor it and then like not floor it. But you also need to be going pretty fast for it to be a smoother ride. Um, and so that was, that was more tricky on that one. And then I was on a slower one later and that was actually easy because I would just floor it the entire time and I'd be going like 55 miles an hour. Um, cause that was, it's like max speed and that was great. That's still super fast. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, we had, we had 60 miles to travel each way. We couldn't, we couldn't be going slow. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you took a journey. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Um, I, I We were on jet skis. My first real experience was at Lake Powell. Mom and I had rented a houseboat with some friends. It was actually their trip, and they invited us on it. Several couples on a houseboat in Lake Powell for a week, and we towed. We had a 75-foot houseboat, and we towed a ski boat and two jet skis. Mm-hmm. And the jet skis were fun to play with, but they were also super useful because – we would have to go like scout locations to dock the houseboat in the evening and kind of like camp out and figure out where our site was going to be. And so I was usually on that, like that team to go out riding and like finding the spot and, and making sure it would work and the boat could get in there and stuff. And it was just really fun. And it was the last day that we just kept looking and kept looking and where we were going, where we're at, there weren't a lot of sandy like beaches. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard to find a spot. And it took us similarly like a couple hours, Man. but not, not four hours in a day. So I hope you, um, it sounds like you just had a blast, but I hope you aren't sore for too much longer. Yeah. It, I'm a cool. lot better now, but oh my gosh, the next day waking up, just trying to sit up out of bed. It's like every muscle in my body hurt because every muscle was required in that. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy, but so much fun. So great what an to adventure! Have done that. Yeah, me too. I'm proud of you. That's uh, that's pretty pretty darn brave and, and impressive. Thanks. Well, uh, we've got some questions this week, Maggie, and uh, some of them are about travel. Some of them are about speaking and creativity and parenting. And so we wanted to make this episode kind of focused on that and see where the conversations lead us. The first question comes from Leah. And it says, in a a few weeks, she asks, I have a flight that I have to leave at four in the morning for. I know Dan travels a lot and was wondering if he and the rest of the family have any tips on how to prepare for waking up early and having little stress. Love the podcast and your uplifting energy. Leah, so waking up early for flights. You've had some experience with that too, haven't you, Maggie? Yeah, I'm I'm an early bird. That's what everyone calls me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, nobody calls me an early bird. But I, I will say, if I commit to something early, I'm up. Like, I never do I wake up and I'm like, I'm tired, and do I bail? Like, you got to follow through on those things. Um, for me, it's just alarms, setting alarms, setting multiple alarms. It's so much harder for me to fall asleep if I know I have to wake up early, which is tough, too. Because I'm like, am I going to sleep through it? Which I'm not really ever asleep through an alarm type of girl like that it, it always wakes me up for the most part um so yeah just setting alarms setting multiple alarms making it as easy as possible for me in the morning so if you're traveling be fully packed have what you're gonna wear the next day already out like make it as easy as possible for you in the morning mm-hmm. yeah that's very consistent for me 
I mean, I kind of know what to pack. I pack the same thing basically for all my, all my trips. Cause I got travel clothes, speaking clothes. I keep it really simple. Um, unless I've got some other things going on. There's a trip coming up where I have, um, I'm meeting up with a friend to do mountain unicycling in Florida. Mm-hmm. There's like a, there's like a mountain trail. It's not as hilly as Georgia, but it's still pretty hilly, Mount Dora. And I'm, so I'm bringing my unicycle on a trip. So that's di- a little different, but usually it's um, pretty simple. And I kind of feel like, think about it like this, Leah. It's like your whole job is to get to the airport, like just to get there. At that point, you really don't have any responsibility. You're not flying the plane. You're not running security. You just kind of have to go through the process. So it's not necessarily about like the condition that you're in, but just the the fact that you get there and that you have everything that you need. So working back from that, I always calculate the time I have to leave the house in order to get there with plenty of time, leaving some room for error. And then um, I get up and I'm basically showered ahead of time. So all I have to do is get up, grab my thing and go, usually with a cup of coffee. Um, (laughs) And then for me, it's like, I can sleep. I've gotten accustomed to being able to sleep before flights, even if I have to get up at like three in the morning. Um, sounds like for you though, three in the morning wouldn't necessarily cut it. You're going to probably have to leave earlier to catch a 4am flight. That's kind of ridiculous. Um, Eddie, Maggie's brother, our son has a different strategy, especially for something as early as four. Um, he's kind of of the same mind that he's worried he's going to miss his flight or not wake up for an alarm. And he stays up through the night more often because he's kind of a late owl anyway. And so he'll just kind of like stay up and sleep on the plane. He's good at that. I'm not as good at sleeping on airplanes. Um, But don't worry about it. Don't have stress about it. You don't have to fly the plane. You just have to get there. You know, that's interesting because I can, I can tend to sleep on planes. I feel like not good sleep at all, but I can like doze off on a plane. Um, But I can't sleep. Like I've never been good at sleepovers. I don't like sleeping when there's someone next to me. Like, that's not really my vibe. I like to be alone. Um, but yeah, on a plane, I'm I'm chilling. <laughs> Even there's though definitely there's definitely people next to you. There's <laughs> so many people and you don't know any of them. Um, I don't know. I have, I have a big, like, emotion, not emotional release, but like, I'm pretty carefree on an airplane because... I, at that point, like, there's nothing I could do. (laughs) This is so sad. If something goes bad, there's nothing I can do to increase my survival rate. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I get it. It's it's an act of complete surrender because it's totally out of your hands. And so I kind of just chill out a little bit when I'm up there. I'm like, all right, not in my hands anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Not in your hands anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that's good. Yeah, I, I'm always worried on planes if I sleep that I've, I'm going to wake up like really suddenly and do something weird, like, you know, jump out of my seat or throw my arms up in the air or or maybe even just not not wake up and start snoring or start drooling yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. sleepwalk or I don't know. Yeah. But I, I typically, will, when I do sleep on planes, it's just for like a few minutes and I wake up and I feel like I just rebooted my battery um, and that's about it. I can't really sleep on long flights unless it's like a red eye through the night. Maybe I'll get a couple hours. Yeah. Okay. International flights. International flights for sure. Okay. Next question. Also about travel. This is from Nick. I'm going to Atlanta for a convention in early March to see a friend. I was just wondering what to expect when traveling 
to the Atlanta airport. I've gone through Detroit, Baltimore, and Nashville airports, but never Atlanta. I've gotten used to airports in the past couple years, but new places can make me a little nervous, especially big places. Love the podcast and videos. Keep up the amazing work. Thanks, Nick. Atlanta airport. You've been to a few airports. Well, lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky, lucky for you, Nick. Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International Airport is a small, quaint little airport. <laughs> <laughs> no, Hartsfield is ginormous, but it's so, in my head, it's so simple. Um, like there's, you can't really get lost. There's signs everywhere telling you where to go. It's just, it is very, very large. (laughs) And so whatever terminal you land in, likely you're going to, you could take a train to baggage claim, or you could walk on the speed sidewalks to baggage claim. Um, or you could ask someone, you could ask someone for help, but it is, it's, it's a machine. It's a machine of an airport. Yeah, the tricky part about Atlanta is if you're connecting through this through the airport to a different flight in a different gate, because then you have to be concerned about time and getting to that flight, which can be consuming if you're in like you know three or four different terminals over and you've got to catch the train. It could take you 20, 30 minutes just to get from one gate to another, but that's not your issue because you're stopping in Atlanta. And so like Maggie said, just follow signs to baggage claim, ask people. You know, fortunately, you speak English, which is great. I, I, I always, mom and I always talk about people who arrive in Atlanta or in any major airport and don't know the language. Like, it mm-hmm. must be really hard for them to figure things out. But fortunately, yeah. there are people to help you out along the way. And then when you get to um, off the train or when you get to baggage claim, you go up a big escalator. And depending on your, uh, if you're on Delta, you'll go left, south terminal. Everything else is to the right. Like Delta basically owns half of the Atlanta airport, at least uh, probably more than that, actually. Yeah. And so it's, um, you got it. Yeah. Follow the signs to the blue if you're on Delta. Um, And welcome to Atlanta. Hope you have a great trip. I think that you definitely will. Okay. Next question comes from Izzy. Remember Izzy talked about her and her preparation for finals. She said, hi, I asked for the tips for studying for finals. Just wanted to say they ended up going really well. And your motivation Yay. kept me relaxed on the morning of the texts. And by the way, you said my name right. It's actually Isadora. So great, Izzy. I'm glad you did well on your tests. And like I said, I knew you had it in you. Good, good job. All right. Um, the next question is from Catherine. I'm taking a public speaking class and I want to know how to be confident when you're giving a speech. Have you given many speeches, Maggie? Um, I have. Yeah, I definitely had to in school. I also had to, I was, had like leadership positions in different clubs and organizations in high school where we'd have banquets and I'd have to give speeches. Um, and it's really interesting because for me, like my voice would shake and I'd get nervous. And it, that was really interesting because like I grew up performing. I grew up, you know, acting and doing live theater for like a decade. Um, so it was crazy that I could do that. No problem. But when it's you, it's like so different to be able to like talk and, and be vulnerable or whatnot. Um, so I remember tending to have an issue, not an issue with that, but just like 
it was kind of normal for my voice to shake and for me to be a little, a little nervous, but it was, it was fine. I mean, <laughs> I remember you were in debate, you were in debate club for, for a short time. Oh, I love debate. Yeah. Debate. I was more chill actually. Um, I was well, right, more on a, you got to, a you mission got to of argue attack. With people. <laughs> I remember, oh my God, this is a funny debate story. I was in debate with one of my best friends, Aiden. And what were, we were arguing something. I don't remember what, but it was something assigned by the teacher. We were on opposing sides and he said something. And I just, I know him so well. I knew how to push buttons. And so I got him to kind of, um, what do you call it? What do you call it? Um, to to react. phrase it as, as though his information was wrong. Like he used, he used a source and then he said something that was not as, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so not, not articulate right now. He said something that disagreed with the source. Um, and the source happened to be the CDC. <laughs> and so we were debating each other and he was getting flustered and he was getting like more and more. And again, we're friends. So we're like feeding off of each other, giving each other attitude. And I finally said, I was like, are you saying the CDC is incorrect? And he like slammed his hands down. He said, yes. (laughs) And and we just both looked at the teacher in the back of the room and she was like, yeah, that's not good. That's not good for him. And I won the debate. That's funny. So he like contradicted himself with his own arguments yeah. and he like used the CDC as a source and then completely like Oh boy. Oh, it was so funny. But no, I love debate. Yeah, you were you were good at it too. So um obviously I'm on stages all the time. I speak regularly. So I help a lot of people through the process of how to give speeches. Sometimes even like executives who are often in front of companies, it's a weird moment when everybody's looking at you. It's a very unnatural thing and it thrusts you into that you know, I, idea of being a leader and commanding attention. Main thing though, Catherine, is to think about the fact that it's not about trying to win over the audience. You've got to know that the audience is already on your side. They want you to do well. They're hoping that you're relaxed so that they could be relaxed. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, what, whatever you could do to get yourself in that mindset of like just being present, like just being you, not trying to layer on all this extra fancy language or anything that's like, because you feel like you have to be more than yourself. Um, it's about really preparing, like understanding the assignment and what you're trying to communicate. Um, not like scripting it exactly word for word. That's one style of speaking. And if that's what you're doing, well, that's fine. But I'll tell you, it's much more, uh, it, people will receive it and connect to your message much better. If you prepare in a way where you understand the points that you're making, like I'm going from this idea to this idea to this idea, and then I conclude here or whatever it is, you've got your structure in mind, you know, your, your talking points. And maybe, yeah, maybe you did write it all out word for word, but then when you step on stage, you don't have the burden in your mind of, I've got to remember that exact script. Because if that's your mindset, like you're not really in the moment. And if you miss a word, you can get easily thrown and just kind of forget where you are. But if you just think about ideas, I'm just talking about this idea. Well, you know the idea because you prepared for that idea. So you just talk about that idea and it's not going to be perfect, but it will be clear. And you're looking at your audience, right? And you kind of look around the room, look at different people and doesn't matter if it's like 20 people or if it's hundreds of people, you still pick out individual people that you look at and connect with. And every time you look at those people 
everybody in the room feels like you connected with them also. Um, because there's this mind, this psychology of like the audience begins to think as one in a little bit, little, uh, in an interesting way. Um, and so be present, have fun with it. And then afterward, um, think about it. Uh, I always talk about the three shows, the one you do, the one you, or the one you prepare, the one you do, and the one you should have done that you're going to think about later. Um, and just, just get, get used to that idea that it'll all be there, um, you know, so just prepare it like you can, let it go, leverage your preparation, be in the moment, and then afterward, think about it, and you'll think of, oh, I should have said this, or I wish I'd have done that differently. Um, but the energy, the nervousness, so much of that is just not knowing. I don't know how this is going to go. And instead of thinking about that as like overwhelming you, just understand you can't know how it's going to go until it goes. It's unknowable. And so you've just got to show up for the moment, move through the moment, and then you will experience like how it goes. And that energy, yeah. like reframe it as excitement. I'm, just, I'm excited about this. It means something to me. And just breathe through it and then just get into it. And my, and my bet is once you're on stage and once you just start talking, you'll relax a lot more and hopefully have some fun with it. So good luck. Something something you said about um, the audience like wanting you to succeed, like wanting to like you, um, that reminded me, I, when I was 12, I was in a production of 13 The Musical, um, and it was one of my first big leads, and I was so nervous, and I remember clearly having the thought, um, like 15 minutes into the show or whatever, I had a big number um, that was just me singing a little song, singing my little heart out at 12 years old. Um, and I remember right before that song, I had like a few jokes and I remember one night I was so nervous and I said the jokes and the audience laughed a ton. And like the first thought I had in my head was like, okay, they like you so far. Like, (laughs) like they're not, it clicked in my head. I was like, they're not rooting for me to fail. They like me. They're laughing. Let's keep them liking me or, or, or just hope that the next four minutes of me singing doesn't make them not like me. And it wouldn't like, it's just, you get in your head. And I think for me personally, it's really easy to revert into a thought process of, Oh, everyone wants me to fail. And sure. Sometimes people want you to fail, but that's rooted in their own issues that they need to sort (laughs) out. And for the most part, like people, people don't, aren't like out for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Um, and it's good to look at that. And then smile. When you smile, it breaks the ice. It relaxes you. Phys- your physiology changes. Your mental state changes as soon as you smile and if you keep breathing. So deep breaths, smiles will get you through it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Speaking of getting through it, um, how about this parenting thing? Emily asks uh, some questions about that. She said, I'd love to hear Dan and Shay's parenting tips. We've talked about this in the past, but specifically, what's your stance on more controversial parenting styles like spanking and grounding? And I'd love to hear your perspectives, Maggie, as well. If there's anything that you've kind of identified that you would do differently when you have kids of your own. I've identified things that I would do differently if I could do it again. <laughs> Talk about the yeah. third show, the third show of parenting, the one you should have done. That is Man. a... Um, what do you wish you did different? Well, 
I wish I would have had some very specific conversations with you and Eddie. I wish I would have, obviously with the traveling thing, I always, you know, to this, to this day, I feel very uh, conscientious and conscious of the fact that I missed so much time and like those moments. Um, if I, you know, the world that we live in now is so different from the world I grew up in. And the world that you grew up in was different than the world I grew up in. But at the time of that was all happening, I didn't necessarily process those changes. I was operating from the context of my mindset. And so thinking forward a little bit about the world you were going to have to live in, like, for example, the whole notion of technology, like the, mm -hmm. the idea that the biggest challenge for all of us is how do we reconcile our relationship with our devices I mean, honestly, it's like the biggest time suck, attention grabbing, anxiety causing instrument that we use in our life. It'll allow you to escape thoughts, to obsess about things, to uh, you know accelerate growth in good ways, but to go down some pretty terrible uh, spirals in terms of like your your thinking and your distraction factors and stuff. And so we didn't know all that. You were the first generation to like grow up with technology being a part of your life all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that was new to us. And, and I think I would have set some stricter boundaries about that, like having some, some very important technology-free uh, events and evenings or whatever with the family. That would have been good. I mean, I think we did okay. I don't think you guys are like totally messed up on that. But, um, you know, I am in some ways. And I know that I could have prepared you for it, but the yeah. big thing is, you know, you're loved, you know, you're from a solid family. The world is just so like unstable and open and changing and chaotic. And so like the, the structure of family is so important to create that, that sense of stability, that sense of like, this is what we believe. This is what our family stands for. Um, and I guess I just, all that came across, but I might have been more prescriptive about that in my own, if I had a chance to do it again. In regards to technology, like, I, I've i always said, like, I'm so glad that my childhood childhood, like, was technology-free, that, like, I spent my days on roller skates around the neighborhood. I got my first phone. I still did get it kind of young. I got it in fifth grade. However, it was a slide phone that I bought mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I paid for every month um, for a long time. Um, and it it could only text the few other people in my grade who had phones and you and mom. But it was mine and it was it was really cool. And I loved that. Honestly, I've seen so many people get burner phone, not burner phones, but like get slide phones or flip phones just to have kind of technology free days where they'll just put their phone away. And then, you know, if you need to talk to me, call me if you need it, like send a text. I think that's so fun. Maybe, maybe that's in my future. Who knows? Um, but I know so many people who had like smartphones at like seven and I absolutely don't want my kids to have that. I think, I don't know. I, Again, I'm 20. My mind's going to change so many times before I actually have kids. But I think that to wait until you're a teenager to kind of have that is cool. But also, you were saying this about like technology-free things. I know a lot of kids who they had 
they weren't allowed to have their phone after 9 p.m., mm-hmm. even like through high school. Um, I don't like that. I don't think I like that. I think that puts more of a pressure to kind of get all your use out of it in the day or in the times that you're allowed and then like to take it away. I don't know. That feels weird to me. I think that I saw something where it said a lot of the times people stay up later at night even when they're so tired because it feels like that's the time of the day that they have control over their lives. Um, You know, they can decide to stay up if they want to stay up. They can catch up on the things they couldn't catch up on. And I think that that definitely happened um, in high school. Now I just, I do get too tired and I go to sleep as soon as I can. (laughs) See, that's one of the things that I I think we we should have done is prescribe that you don't take your phones into your room at night. It's just... Mm, yeah, see, I disagree with that. Well, but that, but see, then there's then there's that whole realm of like, it could open up the world to you, keep you awake, and as opposed to like, we're done for the evening, you've got an alarm clock, you can get up. I think that's a, that's a slippery slope because a lot of things could, you know, you were good kids, but I... I the internet is the internet and it opens up the world to everything. And, oh, for sure. Yeah. But I also feel like at that age, you are. We're talking high school. High school here. Yeah, yeah, high school. I I think you're more responsible for. You're not necessarily a responsible person, but I think that you are responsible for how much sleep you get. Those are decisions that you make at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, There was a. there's, there's these bags that they make. I'm looking for the, there's a signal blocking bag. There's a whole, like, I, I'm looking for the name right now. We'll find it. There's a signal, the bags that you put your phone in that block all the signals. And that's the idea. It's like, for me, it's like having one of those, we all throw our phones in when we do something else, when we play games or when we do whatever. It's like keeping the distraction out of the, out of the way of certain family moments. Um, I'll look for that in a minute. But yeah, I think it's it's just a good rule in general to kind of try and not be on your phone when you're around other people. That's something that my friends and I will randomly do is we'll we'll put all of our phones in the middle of a table when we're having dinner and just try and be present. And it is so much better. It truly is. It's called a Faraday cage or a Faraday bag, a cell phone blocker bag. Okay. So what it does is it blocks signal, it blocks radiation. Uh, to keep your phone and other digital devices safe from hacking attempts, radiation, and other electromagnetic pulses. All right, so it's basically a signal jamming free bag, but but I was thinking it as more of like a uh, a way to just kind of like. Or do you remember we had that Doctor Who phone box, mm-hmm. that little miniature one? My idea for that was, and we never did it, but it was like we all put our phones in the phone box and we close it. It was a little telephone box, like the from the Doctor Who show, and then. At certain moments, we're just not going to even look at our phones rather than having them fighting for our attention all the time. So, but with regard to your other questions um, about spanking and grounding, we we never spanked our kids. It just didn't feel, that wasn't part of my philosophy, um, wasn't congruent with our personality. I didn't feel like it was, it was the right thing for us and for our family. Yeah. I don't feel like. I don't know. Maybe that's controversial, but don't hit your kids. <laughs> well, I I think that's a complete violate. If you're looking to build trust between you and your kids, that is a complete violation. I always felt say, that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't want to get into an argument about nobody should ever and this, that, and the other thing. When you get into um when you get into just blanket statements about absolute things, it it's tricky because some people will swear by the fact that they grew up with discipline. And for them, the only way that they were like that they registered for them was a spanking. And it for the in that in their mindset, as I understand it, because I've i I've really tried to understand what that like how that would work for you. Um, it's not necessarily the pain. It's not necessarily the uh, the act itself. It's the anticipation of it. It's like you're going to be in trouble. There's going to be this moment. Where the we, anticipation of fear? These, the anticipation of the ritual that you've let your parents down in such a way that they are going to now punish you with this in this way. Um, like I said, not for me, not for our family. We didn't Mm-mm. do it. No, absolutely not. Um, and then grounding, you know, we did do some grounding, not often because frankly, you guys didn't get in a whole lot of trouble, but you know, it's important that you kind of remember like, you know, that there's some things that are, you're going to miss if you, if you break the rules, there's got to be consequences. And so the question is, what is it the kids really love? And then if you connect the consequences to the things that they want to do or that they wish they could do, then hopefully that creates more meaningful, um, you know, behavioral change. And yeah, I think discipline and structure is definitely important. Um, but I, I think that putting that mindset that, Oh, you've done something wrong. Therefore the answer is physical violence is a damaging thing to put in a kid's head for when they're an adult as well. That like, Oh, that's an option. Like, no, violence is never the option. Like, I don't know. Actually, I do know. Yeah, I stand by that. <laughs> I stand by that too. So that's why we never did it. So there you go. Um, Slay, good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with regard to like, um, like ground, like in terms of how do you get, how do you avoid these moments? I think the biggest thing again is building love, building respect, building authority. Parental authority is really, really important, and I feel like that's kind of one of the intentions behind maybe spanking is just to assert your authority. But it's more about we make the rules. We are your parents. We love you. We want to hear your perspective. But it's we're it's our job to raise you and to keep you safe and alive for the first 18 years of your life and to set the rules by which we're going to live. And so it's not everybody has an opinion and all the opinions are of equal value. It's Everybody, you can share your opinion, but ultimately we have to decide and you need to respect that. And if that comes from the knowledge that you, that you know we love you and you know we are looking out for you and you have a respect for the way that we're living our lives, like if we're, hopefully you were looking at us going, mom and dad have it together in some ways and not in other ways, but ultimately, like I feel like they're good people and I want to be more like them one day. And so that's the authority by which you really can persuade your kids to follow the rules, I think. Yeah. And I think that creates more of an incentive. If if you respect your parents and if you love your parents, I think that's even more of an incentive to want to do things how they tell you to and want to not cause issues and all that. Yeah. And when you do let them down, then the disappointment of letting them down, the, maybe the guilt that goes with that. I know you experienced a lot of that. Like you're like just feeling bad about how you handled things or what you may have said to us, that's way worse than Yeah, I just never punishment. wanted to hurt y'all's feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I was so sensitive. Yeah. I'm still so sensitive. Are you kidding? 
But it also is about the kid. And that's the thing is there's no like blanket rule for every child in terms of what will persuade them to act or not act in a certain way. It's, we're all, we all have different personalities. And if you yeah. look, start, start to study like behavioral psychology and personalities, then you realize, you know, there's a vast difference between how some people will process a situation and others will process the situation. And what worked for you may not work for your kids. And what worked for works for one of your kids may not work for the other kid. And so parenting is all about learning and, and then, you know, getting things right, getting things wrong, trying it again a different way, reading a lot of books and, uh, and just realizing like, you've got the greatest job in the world. It's the hardest job in the world in many respects, but ultimately a lifelong um, sense of validation and reward. But I uh, hope that helps you, Emily, in your parenting adventures uh, today or in the future. I'm not sure, but uh, thank you for the question. All right. We got one more question, Maggie, and this is with regard to um, my weekly motivational posts on LinkedIn. Mary said that she follows me there. So on LinkedIn and from my website, danthurman.com, we've talked about it several times on the podcast. We, I produce, along with Eddie, a, work, a weekly motivational coaching video that's about two and a half minutes long. And we keep it tight because we want people to watch it, not delete it and to share it with other people that they think they might enjoy it. Um, so she said, I really love those. And as a cre creative myself, it made me curious about what's your process for creating the videos and writing the script for them. Do you write the material all on your own or collaborate with others? Um, and she particularly thought a, a specific one she commented on um, had some great clever elements. They're all written by me. They're often inspired by people in my life or by situations, or sometimes I'll hear words like a phrase in some way and it'll just, I'll twist it. And, and my kind of, my method of writing and creating is always to like look for more than one way to interpret a saying. Um, and so like, for example, you were, you were talking about the, the one, two, three post, which was about, you get one twenty three. Uh, absolutely. That's, that's, that was one that was really, intentional about how to use this year to your advantage. Um, but often like I've had, I've had many titles that are just different plays on words or counterintuitive thoughts. The tricky thing is, you know, people talk about these ideas, life principles, motivational principles, leadership principles so much. And ultimately it comes down to like, there's universal truths in the world. And so it's not about necessarily saying something brand new and sometimes it is, sometimes I've had a, a new insight, but more often it's about putting it a, through a different perspective and just making it more useful or more sticky or maybe um, some action items. So I always write the script. I write it tight. Like I try to get a lot of ideas in a really short window because it's that two and a half minutes and it's written in chunks and then shot in uh, locations. So on live locations, first light of the day, no matter where I am, I look at my script, I memorize the first paragraph and I shoot that and uh, then the next paragraph, then the next paragraph. And each one's a, a different shot. So watching this as a listener, you kind of get a view of all this, these different elements of the lo location that I'm in. Um, and then I'm memorizing in the moment so I can look right into the lens of the camera and deliver it in a very personal way. I upload all the footage. I... Eddie takes the footage, he creates the video, he adds the music, 
Um, and every week he he's doing this, and he, man, it's just gotten so good. And so I I, I kind of know what he's looking for. We talk about it midweek in terms of what could be better, what could be different, mic issues, light issues, whatever. Uh, and just over the years, we've literally done this for several years, every week, and hundreds of videos. We've gotten pretty good at it. So if you haven't yet um, checked it out, you can go to danthurman.com and look at some of those videos, and you can search them by topic. You can suggest. You can ask for certain topics if you want to see some of that there. So yeah, so while the podcast is not necessarily happening every week for the next little bit, you can request topics um, there as well, and we can respond to them with weekly coaching videos. So please join us in that in that effort. Awesome. Well, it's been a good podcast, so hopefully if you guys miss us in the future, you can just listen to this one back over <laughs> and over and over again. Um, or re-listen to the old things or follow us on our other socials. You know, we, we're still making content. We're still out there. I'm just not in this capacity all the time. Um, but thank you guys for listening this week. And I love you, Dad. I love you, Maggie. That sounds like a question. I love you, Dad. (laughs) That was true. (laughs) Yes, you do. You love me, and I love you, and we love you out there in the audience. Think about you all the time, and we hope you have an amazing week, and good luck in all that you're doing in your life, and just know, like, it's life gets hard. Life gets chaotic. Life gets confusing. Um, Keep it simple, you know? Remember, the more you make others smile, the the better you're going to feel about yourself, and so see that as you, you be, like your lifelong assignment is to become an instrument for creating more joy in the world and for making others around you feel a little bit closer. Um, if you do that, trust me, things are going to work out and we're going to be there to help you along this journey. So until we uh, talk again, good luck and have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Bags and dads, wholesome chaos. Max and Dots, wholesome chaos. Went to go play pickleball last night, and the courts were locked. Uh-oh. And the city has locked our courts until Friday due to an altercation that took place. Seriously? How crazy is that? Yeah. Like a pickleball throwdown? Yeah, over pickleball. Really? But why are we all getting punished? That's <laughs> my thing. <laughs> like, we are grown adults, and you took away our fun time. That's mean. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.